You know, I guess I wish people knew that the the job existed, that the food didn't just miraculously, (laughs) you know, appear on the plate. I'm Lisa Morehouse, and this is California Foodways. I'm traveling to every county in the state, finding stories about food, agriculture, and the people that make both possible. Actors and writers in Hollywood went on strike in the summer of 2023. And economists say the labor disputes could cost California at least $3.5 billion. All kinds of people are feeling the squeeze. A lot of them either work in entertainment directly or are employed by companies that serve the industry. When it comes to movies and TV, there are a lot of people affected by the strikes who have jobs you might not think about. Makeup artists, electricians, truck drivers, pet trainers, even food stylists. In a TV series like Mad Men, it's someone's job to pick out the mid-century modern furniture, design the costumes, and someone was in charge of those cocktail party weenies and grape jelly. Sugarberry has been selling hams for 30 years at a fairly steady rate while doing everything they could to create sales. Or the canned ham in season four. The winner of the ham battle is you. Our hams are worth fighting for. Behind any food on screen, there's a person or a team of people researching it, making it, keeping it fresh on set, take after take. They make food a character. So for L.A. County, I visited a set before the writers and actors strikes began because I wanted to learn more about the often invisible work of a Hollywood food stylist. I meet Melissa McSorley in a distinctly unglamorous part of Santa Clarita, an industrial park turned soundstage. Melissa's unloading her SUV, packed as tightly as a perfectly played Tetris game. She pulls out electric burners and what looks like a contractor's tool bag. You'd expect to be carrying hammers and drills. This is my sort of portable kit that goes with me everywhere. I'm gonna guess there's 200 different utensils, implements. I see tongs and torches and ring cutters and measuring cups and boards. She was on a different job yesterday. And that's typical, so she carries all of her tools with her. At least on this set, she gets a designated space for her work kitchen. That's because on this show, Hulu's Good Trouble, food drives some of the plot. Hey, doll, where's my mint? Come on, you can't hide out in the kitchen all night. You need to press the flesh. One character is opening a restaurant. Great opening, Dennis. Thank you for coming. Hey, nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. The food is fabulous. Glad you like I've it. I've never been on a set before, so I'm fascinated. It's an industrial warehouse with half a dozen of what look like huge plywood boxes. Inside, they're completely realistic rooms, an office, a living room. Before they started filming here, this space was an empty shell. Melissa says you could see the ceiling insulation. Yeah, in order to make this happen, so many crafts, so many people touched all of this before you could even think about putting food into this set. So the set that we're walking into is a kitchen, and we have a scene coming up tomorrow where there's going to be a little bit of chaos, but a lot of cooking. 
I've been in a lot of commercial kitchens, and this one looks so realistic. From food containers labeled with blue painter's tape to the rubber mats on the floor. Except it's not a real kitchen. Now, here's the one thing about a set. Um, it doesn't have practical lighting. Any light switches you see don't really work. So Melissa's using the light on her phone to examine the set. Tomorrow, actors will flip burgers and stir polenta, so Melissa's got to make sure everything is ready. I need to make sure that all of the uh, pots, pans, utensils, anything we need to, to recreate uh, some cooking scenes are still in place. Okay. Melissa grew up in Burbank. She remembers seeing fans lining up to watch The Tonight Show being taped. My family was not in, involved in entertainment at all. My mom had sort of office jobs, and in fact, when I was little, she was a telephone operator. I don't even think that exists anymore. Um, I lived in a home with my stepfather, and he owned a printing company in North Hollywood. But the entertainment industry was all around. And there was a strike. Um, that happened when I was in high school, and it affected a lot of the families that I grew up with. And I remember saying to my family that I would never work in the entertainment industry because I never wanted to work in an industry where people were so expendable that nobody cared how many lives that these strikes could disrupt. And so I was never, ever, ever going to be in this industry. So how did it come to pass that Melissa, who never intended to join the entertainment industry, became a Hollywood food stylist? Well, first, she learned to cook out of necessity. I'm the oldest of three children, and my mom went back to work after, after the third one was born. So even when she was a kid, Melissa helped her mom with a lot of the cooking. She learned to make things like... Tuna in white sauce with frozen mixed vegetables on toast. And there used to be something on the side of a Bisquick box that was like a taco pie. I remember making that when I was a kid. I ate a lot of casseroles growing up. Um... My mom was Japanese, and she was born in the relocation center. This is during World War II, when Japanese Americans were being sent to prison camps. Her family went to Colorado. So, you know, when she was little, there wasn't a lot of food in the camp. Then they came and they didn't have a lot of money when they got back to California. Casseroles were an easy way to stretch money, and Melissa got good at making them. She was a kid with a creative streak growing up in a structured home. When I was in high school, I actually wanted to go to school for photography. And my parents said that I could do that as a hobby anytime I wanted. They wanted her to be prepared for a stable career. Culinary arts falls under the term arts, and it would not have been acceptable to my parents. So she studied biology and psychology. After college, she took cooking courses on the side, but she had steady jobs. She worked at an electrical engineering company. She drew blood. But after I went through all of these very, very structured fields, I realized that everything that I had done up to that point, what made me the happiest was something where I could be creative. It was while she was working at an advertising agency producing commercials that she first encountered a food stylist. I decided I was just going to do it part-time for a little while before I decided what I really wanted to do. And it turned out that I loved it, and here I am, I guess, almost 20 years later. 
Back in her work kitchen, Melissa demonstrates how cooking for the screen is a lot different than cooking at home. She roots around in a chest freezer. This is pizza dough for a scene that I need tomorrow. One, two, three, four, five, six. In the script, there's one pizza. How many does Melissa need to prep? Uh, we will probably, over the course of the day, do maybe 18 of these. 18 different pizzas. Right. They have to shoot the actor in all the stages of pizza making. So you'll see her grab a dough ball that's been proofed and looks amazing. Melissa will swap that out for dough that's been perfectly shaped. And then you might see her start to sauce it. Uh, then you might see it uh, finished but uncooked. Ready to go in the oven. At the very, very end of the scene, she will pull out like that perfect one pizza. And even for the shot of that one perfect pizza, Melissa will have made three or four just in case. She also has to make sure that food looks good, that it looks the same, take after take. We'll do our little test as to which of these are going to be the winner for sweet potato fries. So she's got the fryer going and four different brands of frozen sweet potato fries. Test number one, the organic sweet potato fries. And she'll leave these out for a couple of hours. Hmm. Those ones taste better. But these look the best. These look the best. So then we'll stop to see how they hold up. What's becoming clear to me is that a Hollywood food stylist needs a bizarre set of skills that go way beyond cooking. First, they've got to be organized. Even the simplest scene has many moving parts. Here's an example. One pivotal scene in the 2015 film, Love the Coopers, took place around a Christmas dinner table. I've been thinking about our family a lot today, and I have something that I'd like to say. Shooting lasted nine days. If I had to guess, we went through maybe 50 or 60 turkeys. There were full, perfect turkeys. Turkeys for carving, turkeys that fell on the floor, turkeys that the dog came close to, turkeys in the oven. There were a lot of turkeys. A lot, a lot of turkeys. And Melissa had to find them, buy them, store them, and cook them. Second, the food stylist also needs to be a nutritionist and a problem solver. That same scene in Love the Coopers. Let's just dig in. Yes. Go ahead. It was... Uh, Diane Keaton and John Goodman and Alan Arkin and Marissa Tomei and Jake Lacey. And when you went around the table, it was a vegetarian but loves cheese, a vegan that also doesn't do sugar or sugar substitutes, um, uh, other people who ate no carbs. You have to make sure that, uh, you know, you've made something that everybody can eat. Third, they're often technical advisors, making sure kitchens on set seem real to viewers, like organizing a fictional restaurant's fridge according to safety regulations. Raw meat is, you know, on a bottom level and not sitting on top of produce that isn't next to eggs that's sitting next to pastries. But the, the highlights of, of my career are the times when I've been able to do something that is like so amplified. Like making food for imaginary worlds. You can give her blood now. Her body should accept it. So can you hear me? You must drink. On the vampire drama True Blood, Melissa's first task was to concoct a substance worthy of the show's title, 
a drink that actors could gulp down that also looked and functioned like blood. So it had to leave a trail when it went down the glass. It had to have the right viscosity. It couldn't just look like juice or wine. And so I'm using a little bit of wheatgrass to give it the like opaqueness that it needed. Mixing in pomegranate cherry juice to get the right color and a decent taste. It was like a little, you know, chemistry experiment in the kitchen. And for developing foods for science fiction shows, Melissa has to imagine entire worlds. The food can't look like anything that we've seen here. Enough food. Go help with the patrol. Take this scene from the series Boba Fett, part of the Star Wars universe. You're the head of a family. You should enjoy the trappings. Have some food. There was an amazing feast that sat on a 30-foot-long table. That's 30 feet of fantasy food to create. And you went by, you know, creatures that had been roasted. Including a roasted Nuna, a swamp turkey from the planet Naboo. It was really awesome because I was able to work with the prop master to come up with a Nuna skeleton and skin that I could work with. But then I filled it with turkey meat so that it looked like the meat was just coming off in layers. And you really get the idea that these came from, you know, another planet. In the hands of a stylist like Melissa, food becomes a character on screen. It can help set a scene. Evoking a time period as she did with the 1960s on Mad Men. When you see a tomato aspic or a salmon mousse, it'll take you back to something you're, in my case, that my grandmother did. It can help set the mood. It's party food, it's jovial, it's very upscale. It can mirror the personality of a character, like a meticulous assassin who also bakes with precision. One glance at a plate and a viewer should get a sense of the person in the scene with it. Is it a really beautiful plate, but it's a little bit cold. It's a little bit minimalistic. It takes a lot of labor to make the shimmering fantasy Hollywood sells the world. And there are a lot of people like Melissa whose work is largely invisible. You know, I guess I wish people knew that the the job existed, that the food didn't just miraculously, <laughs> you know, appear on the plate. That's it for this episode of California Foodways. This story was reported and produced by me, Lisa Morehouse. The theme music is by Takanobu. It originally aired on the California Report magazine. California Foodways receives support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Follow CA Foodways on social media and visit our website, californiafoodways.com.